Welcome to the Condo Vultures Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Zalewski. This is the Miami Real Estate and Economic Roundtable. We also call it the Reporters Roundtable. The reason we do so is we bring together four current or former journalists to talk about some of the biggest headlines that have occurred within the last week. We do these every Wednesday. This is actually also episode number 62 in our podcast series. So for the Miami Real Estate and Economic Roundtable or the Reporters Roundtable, whatever you want to call it, what we do is we deal with six of the biggest headlines that occurred within the last week and we use journalists to go ahead and cut through some of the smoke and mirrors and help you understand um, what's important and why. And the ultimate uh, motivation and the objective is to try to bring some clear talk straight talk, um, basically clarity to the South Florida real estate market. There's a, uh, a market that's extremely overhyped. So for these six uh, articles, what we'll do is we'll talk about uh, the headlines. We'll talk about some of the tidbits that are involved with it. We'll also talk about what does it really mean for the real estate industry, whether you are a real estate uh, professional, you're an investor, or you're thinking about being a, uh, investing in this particular market. In addition to that, I ask all the panelists to go ahead and make a prediction about something that might be coming down the pike um, for the South Florida uh, economy and or real estate market. And then finally, we do a comment section. The comment section is based on what you, the listener, has to say. So if you want to go ahead and send us a comment, you want to complain, you want to uh, criticize, you want to compliment, you want to ask a question, any and all of the above is um, uh, encouraged. And we go ahead and we uh, we review the comments every Wednesday during these reporter roundtables. So to send a comment, please send an email to uh, inquiry at condovultures.com. That's I-N-Q-U-I-R-Y at condovultures.com. And if you're not yet a subscriber to the Condo Condo Vultures podcast. I encourage you to go ahead and do so wherever you listen to your podcast. And then finally, if uh, you like what we're doing, please go ahead and give us a good rating and uh, give us a comment. All of that hopefully will help us to spread our message and uh, help us to accomplish our ultimate mission statement, which is to go ahead and bring clarity to an extremely overhyped real estate market. So all that being said, I want you to fasten your seatbelt. I want you to lean back and I want you to get ready to uh, learn and, and laugh and get some insight about what's going on in the South Florida real estate market. Are you a primary user or real estate investor who's in the market for a discounted South Florida condo? Are you searching in the markets of greater downtown Miami, Miami Beach north to Sunny Isles Beach, Hollywood north to Fort Lauderdale, or anywhere else east of I-95 in the Tri-County South Florida region? If so, the buyer brokers at Condo Vultures Realty are here to assist you. Condo Vultures Realty is a licensed Florida brokerage that was established in 2006 to assist educated buyers in identifying, negotiating, and purchasing units at a discounted price. To speak with a buyer broker at Condo Vultures Realty, please call 305-865-5859 or visit our website, condovulturesrealty.com. Welcome back to the Condo Vultures Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Zalewski. This might be Real Estate and Economic Roundtable. It's a discussion by current and former journalists. We kick around some of the biggest headlines that have occurred within the last week. Why are we doing it? Basically, we're trying to bring some clarity and some insight to you, for you, the listener, um, related to the real estate market and what should be affecting pricing, the industry, and your investment. So who do we have for this particular uh, roundtable discussion? We have our first roving panelist. We have Ken Silverstein, who is an investigative reporter for over 30 years. Still doing it today. He's worked everywhere from Harper's to Los Angeles Times to Vice to the New York Observer. What's going on, Ken? Oh, just, you know, preparing for daylight saving time and hoping that it doesn't force me to jump off the nearest large building. My least favorite <laughs> time of the year. You know, it's about to be dark at five in the afternoon. So, well, um, I don't know. I'm surviving. I'm trying to get through the pandemic like everyone else. 
And, and I should tell the audience that you are now currently in Washington, D.C., but you did live in Miami, and you visited uh, very frequently to Miami. So, so you're, you're, you're kind of our, our, our man in, uh, in Washington, if you will. I am the least expert of the panelists, but I've been going to Miami for decades, and I've reported on real estate down there, which is, in fact, how I got to know the illustrious host of this podcast, you, Peter. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I'm... I, as well as white-collar crime and fraud. As well as white-collar crime and fraud, yes. And it's also the way I got to know John as well, who was with you when we first met. So I do know something about the topic. but Nice, nice, nice. And then who else do we have? Well, uh, uh, Ken already alluded to him. We got John Fackler. John used to write about white-collar crime as well as publicly traded companies based in South Florida. Right now he's got his own public relations and marketing consultancy. What's going on, John Fackler? Not much. Excited to be on board today. Nice. It's going to be a very interesting podcast. We 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 got some great stories, so I'm looking forward to that. And then uh, uh, finally, but not, um, uh, uh, we have John Bruce. John is a former journalist, did it for 25 plus years, worked at a variety of publications in Florida, including the Tampa Tribune. Right now, he's got his own public relations and marketing firm called Bruce Communications. What's up, John? Hey, Peter, great to be back on your pirate radio. <laughs> it's, not, it's not pirate, it's just, it's, it's not authorized. Oh, no, no, it's not authorized, okay. <laughs> Same thing. <laughs> exactly. So, guys, what I want to do, like we've been doing for the last uh, several months, is I want to give you an update as to what's going on with the COVID numbers down here in Florida. Now, all these stats are going to come from the Florida Department of Health, the COVID-19 dashboard. So anybody who wants to look up the stats uh, that are officially being uh, put out in Florida, and I'm not saying that they're correct or incorrect, anything like that. I'm just telling you what the official numbers are. Here's what we got going on as of the 26th of October uh, in Florida. And that's when we're recording this podcast, even though it'll be coming out on the 28th. So we have just over 782,000 cases, confirmed cases of COVID, and we've had just under 16,450 deaths. So, again, total cases, 782, and total deaths, 16,450. That's what we've had thus far. Now, in terms of South Florida, which is comprised of Miami-Dade, Broward, Palm Beach counties, uh, the three together, the tri-county area, there's been a a total of 314,700 confirmed cases, 314,700. And then on the death count, just under 6,700 people have died who live in Miami-Dade, Broward, Palm Beach counties, and or South Florida. Now, on a county-by-county basis, uh, Miami-Dade County proportionally is going to represent 23.2% of all the uh, the cases and 22% of all of the deaths. Broward County, 10.7% of all the cases, 9.3% of the deaths. And then finally, Palm Beach County, 6.5% of the cases and 9.5% of the deaths. Anybody have anything they might want to mention about the COVID numbers before we get into our first uh, article? No, I think that pretty much sets the stage for this conversation. They're all pretty grim numbers. Yeah, they're they're grim numbers. And also, too, what I should mention is um, the stock market today. It opened, and it was down at one point uh, close to 3%. Ended up closing the day. I think it was somewhere in the vicinity of 2% or so in terms of uh, the the overall marketplace. So you can see the stock market and others are starting to realize that as the number of COVID cases spike in Europe and they're going up here in the United States, uh, uh, people playing the market are getting a little bit more concerned. Probably the election coming up too has got people 
nervous. But was the was the stock market? I confess I wasn't paying any attention to the news at all today. I was working on something and uh, was pretty wrapped up in it. Was so was was the fall directly? Were, were was yeah. it because of the uncertainty caused by COVID? Uh, yeah, yeah, they were. predicting. They was. Yeah, they were saying today um, they were attributing it to more the, the increase in COVID cases more than the lack of stimulus uh, uh, deal. Which actually, uh, uh, late today, it looks like uh, they walked away again. Both uh, Speaker Pelosi and uh, McConnell. So you've got those two things working uh, simultaneously, uh, killing the market by about 650 points today. So for story number one, uh, Ken, I want to go to you. This is coming from uh, NBC6 South Florida, the local affiliate down here in Miami. Here's the headline. Miami Beach Commissioner Test Positive for COVID-19. Subhead. The positive tests also forced Miami-Dade County Commissioners Daniela Lavina Cava and Eileen Higgins to stop their campaign events for Sunday after the trio appeared together at a recent event. And then in terms of the first few graphs of the article, Miami Beach uh, Commissioner says he tested positive for COVID-19 Sunday morning in a statement posted on Twitter. Commissioner David Richardson said he began feeling symptoms Saturday evening before being tested Sunday morning. According to Richardson, he has hosted several food distribution events over the last eight months, but he's made no contact with participants or the food, adding that for the most part, he's been very diligent about wearing a mask. Apparently, he wasn't diligent enough, Ken, because the commissioner of Miami Beach has just caught uh, or just uh, 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 been confirmed for having COVID. What, 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 what say you? Well, I mean, it's you know, it's it's not surprising. I mean, the you know we see public officials all over the country uh, being exposed, including of course the president, the vice president. Now there's this big outbreak in his circle. I mean, the thing is, I think you know in ten years we're going to look back on this and well look back on it and we're going to have knowledge, much more knowledge about uh, the situation. And I think there's a lot that we just still don't. No, I mean, you can be as careful. It's just like, you know, I hate to use this uh, analogy, but it's a little bit like Russian roulette. I mean, you, I, I think we still are not exactly aware of how it's transmitted. You can be as careful, you know, let's take this guy at his word. Yep. Um, you can be as careful as you want. I mean, you can still, uh you can still be exposed. At the same time, I mean, on the, you know, trying to be a little bit more positive, I mean, the lethality rate is not as high as um, it's, well, it's it's mercifully a little bit lower than um, than uh, than initially thought. Um, I mean, still, I mean, I'm not making light of this in any way, but sure. I just think there's still a lot of things we don't know. You know, at first it was like, oh, you can, you know, people were washing their groceries and then it's like, oh, then no need to do that. You know, we're told, you, you know, it's only spread uh, through the air. But, no, you know, for a while it was well if you touch a countertop. I mean, yeah. who knows? It's just, I mean, it's the thing about this pandemic that uh, is so unsettling is that you you can do, you, you can take all the steps um, and, you know, hey, the odds of getting it are knock. I'm literally going to knock on wood here. Are relatively low. But I went out the other the other night. I turned sitting outside, socially distancing, responsible, and some bozo comes over um, and starts, you know, 
yapping to my wife and I, and it's like, can you get the hell out of my face? I mean, you know, like, who knows? I mean, it's, but I think obviously, um, you know, you can be really careful. Um, yep. And you can still come down with it, and it's got to make people nervous. I mean, it's, it's, you know, I feel relatively comfortable. I, you know, I don't go to uh, bars and restaurants indoors. Um, I'm relatively careful, but it's just a way of predicting. People come down with it and don't even know how they were exposed to it. So, you know, I mean, he's claiming anyway that he's been really responsible. So, yep. I don't know yep. how to explain it. All I know so, is, you know, it makes everybody nervous, obviously. Yep. Now, now, John, uh, let, let me go to John Fackler. Uh, John, the irony is is that Daniela Levine-Cava, she's a Democrat. She's running for the county commission mayor position against a Republican called Steve Bovo. So isn't it typically the Democrats wear the mask and they don't catch it, and they're not around anybody who catches it, versus the Republicans who aren't wearing the mask and they're all catching it? And, and, and the irony here is, is Cava is a Democrat, and now she's got to basically hunker down because she was w- with the Miami Beach uh, City Commissioner, and she's running for mayor right now, so the next week or two is going to be very important, versus Bobo, who's a Republican, and uh, he's out you know, doing all kinds of um, uh, events. Yeah. <clears throat> well, one of the things, interesting things that I, saw, I, I noticed about the article, and uh, I, I'm not trying to be part of the media elite here, but you know, I read it twice, <laughs> and I didn't see any... I read it twice, and I didn't see any mention of a uh, of a political party for either of those people. Um, and I was like, what, since when the, don't they mention someone's a Republican, someone's a Democrat? And I always think that makes an interesting read because you know here we you know everybody jumps on the fact that the Republicans are you know don't care about the coronavirus, and here they're coming down like crazy with with the virus. But you know, it didn't mention it in the story. Um, and also, you know, going to um, Ken's point. I, I just think this, you know, this lethality statistic where it apparently, the, you know, the deaths are much lower when cases are going up, but the deaths are, you know, on a lower uh, level, it's a false sense of security, I think, you know, cause especially with the, <laughs> the politicians that think, okay, if I can't die from it, I'm going to go out there, I'm going to get on the stump. And, uh, and sure enough, what happens? They keep coming down with it. You hear more and more names of politicians coming down with it. And I, this, I think the false sense of security is very dangerous. Yeah, 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 yeah. Interesting, interesting. Okay, so story number two, let's go to Jean Gruss. Uh, this piece is going to come out of the South Florida Business Journal, and the headline, Jean, is $41 billion assets. Elliott Management is moving its headquarters to West Palm Beach. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about how uh, Blackstone was going to be setting up an operation down here in South Florida. Now we got Elliott Management moving their headquarters down to West Palm Beach. This is something you made a prediction of, that we were going to see a lot of New York firms, hedge fund types, Bailing on New York City, bailing on the Northeast, and heading down to Florida. Uh, what's what's a you, Sean? Yeah, that was uh, my prediction last week. Was that uh, we were going to see a lot more of these and, and maybe some bigger ones. And lo and behold, two days after we made the prediction, uh, uh, this is uh, the big Kahuna of uh, hedge funds. I mean, uh, you know, Singer and, and Elliott Management, uh, forty-one billion dollar hedge fund. This is not. This is not sort of a small, you know, boutique firm. This is like a major, uh, major player. And, you know, they're going to be down in Palm Beach. They're moving their headquarters down to Palm Beach. It's like a dream come true for the Palm Beach Chamber of Commerce. I mean, this is like, <laughs> you know, this is, um, you know, because these guys are going to be down, you know, here this winter. They're going to be hanging out by the pool. And, they, and 
all their buddies up in New York City are going to be stuck in their apartments and wondering what the hell they're doing up there. Uh, and they can manage money just as well in Palm Beach as they can, you know, in Manhattan. So, I, you know, I think it's, we're going to see a lot more of that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, John uh, Fackler, let, let, let me go to you. Um, uh, John, Elliott Management, uh, they're one of the biggest in the world. The fact that they're setting up uh, an operation down here in West Palm Beach, it's not really new simply because uh, they've already had massive investments down here, including Brightline. You guys remember Brightline? Brightline, that commuter yeah. rail that was running on, and then Virgin with Richard <clears throat> Branson, they got involved. Um, they, they, the Elliott Management was a group behind that, and they've already had a number of executives down here. So, so John, is this, is this a big deal, or is this just a continuation of something that happened a couple years back? And, and now suddenly the big dog, the head of it, Paul Singer's coming down. So now all of a sudden it's getting the attention. So what 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 say you, John? Yeah, I, I really think this might be part of a trend, uh, much to John's point, uh, which and he was definitely spot on on his prediction, um, because we're starting to see what began as a trickle of these firms coming down here now becoming somewhat steady. I don't see a huge move, but I'm I'm looking at a you know a pretty a steady move of these firms you know, really uh, escaping from the taxation and everything else uh, in the north, in the northeast. So, um, you know, kudos to Sean on, on his uh, his prediction. All right. So story number three. Uh, Sean, you know what? I want to go to you again on this one. Um, this is a piece out of CNBC headline. Banks may have to brace for heavy losses as commercial property prices plunge. Now, you guys might have remembered a couple months back, um, I talked to some banker friends, and they were telling me that they were expecting some real problems coming down the pike at the end of this year and beginning of next year, simply because a lot of the commercial uh, borrowers who own malls and office space and things like that, they were going to start to get jammed up because tenants weren't paying rent simply because they weren't producing any money. And the banks had given everybody uh, sort of a pass. Now it seems like the chickens are coming home to roost as the cliche goes. So let me get back to the CNBC stories. Again, headline, banks may have to brace for heavy losses as commercial property prices plunge. And there's four key points from CNBC, John, that I'd like you to sort of comment on. Uh, point number one, in previous downturns, commercial property loan losses were heavy, and there are worrying signs that such a trend could be repeated, this time during the pandemic-induced slowdown, according to Oxford Economics' Adam Slater. Point number two, during the 2008 great financial crisis, for example, such loan losses accounted for between 25 and 30% of total loan write-offs in the U.S. Point number three, and this is, uh, uh, this is coming directly out of the report, large commercial real estate price declines generally translate into big losses for banks. And finally, point number four, this time those risks look highest uh, in the United States, Australia, and parts of Asia, including Hong Kong and South Korea. So, John, this could be something that's bigger than just the United States. It could be worldwide, and it seems like commercial real estate has got some real challenges going forward, especially if you're a lender and you got you got um, uh, debt out on the street. Yeah, but, I, I, you know, I don't think you can sort of put a blanket statement on everybody. I mean, certain sectors um, and certain banks are more exposed than others. I mean, if you're if you're lending to build warehouse industrial space, you're you're probably in pretty good shape, you know, because of all the Amazons and all the companies that are doing online distribution. If you're lending on speculative retail development, yeah, you're you're going to be in trouble. And I mean, you know, we all know in Miami um, who the banks are that made risky loans, right? Um, yep. Not going to yep. name names, but but we know who they are, and they know who they are. And, yep. um, you know, they're starting to set aside um, uh, reserves for loan losses, um, and they've been doing that for the last six months. And so, you know, they they know what's coming, and um, it is coming. Now, 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 Ken, 
banking's not your thing, but I want to I want to get your opinion because you're dealing with all different types of people, and you're up there in D.C. So I'm going to throw out a, a type of real estate sector, and I want to mm. want you to give an opinion as to whether or not you think it could be in trouble going forward, or whether or not you think it's got stability. Does Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll have a stab at it. Okay. All right. So here we go. Warehouses, Ken. Do you think uh, people who own warehouses, uh, you think they're going to be able to go ahead and pay their bank back uh, simply with the idea that Amazon and uh, all the online um, uh, retailers are, are really kind of booming right now? What, what, what say you? Well, I agree with John that I think those those are the people who are less exposed. Okay. I mean, you, you know, it's the you know if you've got an office building filled with tenants, you are in you know, potentially screwed. So, um, so you're saying office buildings, you think office buildings are in trouble. What about, uh, what, what about retail space? What about your typical mall out in suburbia USA where you got like a public grocery store as an anchor and then you got a bunch of little shops. You got a subway, you got a hair, hair salon, stuff like that. What, what do you think about one of those uh, types of properties? I, I think that those, that those people are running enormous, enormous danger. Yesterday I went out for a ride just to get out of D.C., we drove out a couple of hours into the Shenandoahs and drove through a number of small towns. And it's not like you actually have to go to small towns. I mean, D.C. is the same. I mean, yep. like, you know, and here, remember, it's getting cold here. You know, I mean, restaurants, like a lot of restaurants didn't survive. They've already gone under. Yep. But as it gets colder, you know, like, you know, we've got a... 40 or 50 degree temperature differential <laughs> up mm. here. <clears throat> and, you know, so A, you're just going to have normally less traffic, but with the pandemic and with the cases exactly at this moment, apparently we're entering, you know, uh, a third upward phase. I yep. mean, we drove past a lot of strip malls where there was, you know, not much business. And okay. it was a now, pretty nice day. I think, I think there's a recognition now that um you know i look i we're all dealing with this and coping with it however we you know however we best can i mean yeah. i've been in a bit of denial about this um and i'm sure a lot of business owners have been too um uh but if this drags on i mean it just doesn't look like there's going to be any big let up soon i mean we, we you're talking about nail salons and we drove past nail salons some of them were doing business but yep. you know there's not a lot of foot traffic i know where i live in dc you walk up and down uh uh george avenue and the foot traffic is way way down so i mean i'm yeah. in the city but um i mean i just i just don't see unless those numbers start coming down soon how there is not going to be a dramatic impact on the sorts of businesses you're talking about, retail. I mean, okay, so, I, I so, would be, I would so be retail, re, retail bad, yeah. office bad, uh, industrial good. What what about hotels bad? I think it's pretty bad. I mean, I don't. Okay. I just don't. I still don't see people feeling comfortable enough to travel. Um, apartment in, in uh, apartment buildings, Ken. Apartment buildings. What do you think about apartments? Well, here I'm, I mean, I'm I'm. You know, I'm guessing on all of this, of course. Um, oh, of course. Naturally, but, um, you know, in Miami, I, I think it's a different situation. I mean, there's always so much overcapacity. I, but I would, I, I mean, 
I'm surprised the economy has in general tanked even further. And mm-hmm. I think that, you know, I think it's only a question of time. So, okay. And what know. about, what, 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 what about publicly funded stadiums? What do you think about those? There's a lot of debt out there financing, whether it's Marlins park or it's any new stadium in and around the United States. Uh, if nobody's going, obviously some of the money being brought in, that's going towards uh, paying debt obligations. You think maybe some of these stadiums could be uh, in some trouble uh, going forward? I, or you think there's, you think it's a one-off deal? They come up with a vaccine, and then people go back and they fill an 80, 90, 100,000-seat uh, stadium. I'm not seeing that. I mean, and again, I am, you know, this is really speculating because this is not something I've been following. But, you know, there's, I mean, with these stadiums, I mean, the, the, the level of debt with some of these stadiums is so ridiculous to begin with. And now you've got a situation, I mean, where, you know, I don't I don't know how the, you know, the NBA, hey, my hat, my hat is off to them. They did this great job of running the championship in the bubble. But, you know, yep. that's not a business model. And we just don't know. But it's looking more and more like this is going to drag on for longer. And I don't know, what's the likelihood that a vaccine is, you know, that in a couple of months, you know, we're going to – People are going to feel comfortable going to, I mean, I really feel bad for, I mean, I know musicians who, um, or just, you know, I have, there are bands that I love to go see and who I would have, you know, had plans to be in D.C. How long is it going to be before people are comfortable going to a sporting event? There are some right. people who are already, but, man, I, I mean, you've got to be seeing a huge drop off in, in people attending sporting events. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know the financials, you know, I, so I can't talk specifically, but just yep. common sense tells me, you know, I mean, I'm not seeing the vac, you know, I'm not seeing the vaccine being something where most people in the United States over the next couple of months are going to be like, oh, great, it's over, let's go back yep. to our normal lives. I mean, I don't know what how long that's going to be, but man, there aren't Got there it. aren't a lot of sectors that are protected. No, it I doesn't mean, sound like it. It, it, it yeah. doesn't sound like because even if you think about like a auto mechanic, um, uh, you know, I'm talking, you know, like uh, you would think, well, you know, what, why would an auto mechanic be at risk? Well, potentially if people aren't driving because they're 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 holed up at home. How much wear and tear is on a car? I mean, this thing just seems to be so widespread. And if you're a lender, how do you go in and actually analyze the loan to know whether or not it's in trouble or whether or not it's performing? So this is why I think there's going to be a lot of questions. But um, that, that's for another day. Let, let, let's go ahead. We'll take a commercial break. On the other side of the break, we'll get into the next three pieces. Don't buy a South Florida condo discounted or distressed before taking a Condo Vultures correction tour. CondoVultures.com offers weekly bus and walking tours that focus on educating buyers on the how-tos of identifying discounted condos, analyzing the opportunities, and purchasing units. Every tour attendee receives a list of all condo projects in a particular market, a market assessment handout, and unmatched expert analysis. For more information on the condo correction tours, please visit condovultures.eventbrite.com or call 305-865-5859. Welcome back to the Condo Vultures Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Zalewski. We talked about three uh, pieces that just came out in the last week that's having an impact on real estate now, and most of those stories were more big picture. Now we're going to get into something that's a little bit closer to home in Miami. So for this first piece, it's coming out of the real deal, Miami, and I want to go to John Fackler. John, the headline is, taking it on the chin, Floyd Mayweather Jr., the famous boxer, sells his Miami Beach home at a loss. 
and there's a subhead. Last year, Forbes named the boxing champ the highest-paid athlete of the decade with $915 million in earnings. So here's the first couple graphs, John. Professional boxer Floyd Mayweather Jr. sold his waterfront Miami Beach home for $6.3 million, taking a loss of over a million bucks. Records show Mayweather, as trustee of the West Coast Legacy Trust, sold the property at 5501 Pine Tree Drive, which is on the west side of Miami Beach, by the way, to Julian and uh, Natalia Sabin. Uh, then final graph, the boxing champ bought the four-bedroom, five-bedroom, uh, four-bedroom, five-bathroom house in 2016 for $7.7 million, according to the records. That means Mayweather, who's known as the Money, uh, Money Mayweather, is his nickname, took a $1.5 million loss on the sale. John, um, what say you? Well, um, despite his moniker of Money Mayweather, uh, that's a that's a huge loss. I mean, I could see taking. Uh, I don't know what the percentage um, decline is on that uh, loss, but that's that's a huge loss. Um, I think we're going to start seeing more celebrity names uh, like Mayweather uh, taking losses as the market tanks here on the on the the higher end uh, luxury real estate. That's so, about uh, a way. That's about an eighteen uh, percent reduction, yeah. uh, basically in purchase price versus what he sold yeah. it for. It doesn't include any up, any updates, anything else involved with that. Yeah, it didn't surprise me. I think just the fact that he's a celebrity is what got the attention of the media. Uh, but I think there's a lot of other luxury um, ownership owners that are that are uh, getting hit right now as well, Miami, or I should say, South Florida. John, a lot of, a lot of uh, skilled investors, what, what they'll do is they'll go ahead and they'll cut bait early because they basically don't want to be in on a loser. If it's going to be a dog, they don't want to ride it all the way down and all the way up. So what they do is they sort of take their losses, they cut bait, and they move on. Um, do you think Mayweather was doing that, or do you think maybe there's some other issue that was in play? Yeah, I mean, I mean look, he's, um, you know, his uh, his earnings are $915 million or something like that. So, yep. I mean, I mean, the loss he took is – relatively uh, painless i'm sure <laughs> uh, right but but I, but i think i think john's right in in that it's an indication of what's happening in the market and that perhaps um if you got in at the wrong time um you know if you got in at the peak or uh you know that that uh you know it depends on your timing so uh people who want to get out of it to get out of it i mean who knows why he why he sold it but I mean, it seems to yep. me that like person, somebody like him has the wherewithal to um, absorb. Uh, you know, I mean, it seems like a huge loss to us, but to him, it's it's probably not that that big a deal. But 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 John, I thought if you listen to all the propaganda, whoops, I mean, um, uh, press releases coming out from the industry, <laughs> uh, single family houses are so desirable. It's a bidding wars. <laughs> How does how does Mayweather lose a million four or eighteen percent four years after he purchased in Miami Beach on the water with the notoriety of his name being associated with the building? How is that possible? And I don't know if that's a real question or if that's rhetorical. I'll let you. He hired the wrong broker, man. <laughs> <laughs> he had no... <laughs> Good answer. He, he needs he needs a better broker. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. Good answer. Uh, Jean, we're going to stick with you for uh, story number five. This is also coming out of the real deal. Headline, developer Harvey Hernandez's former partner seeks to put NGD home sharing in receivership. Subhead, Airbnb sued our NGD home sharing in January. The company settled in March. Okay, so, so that's what we got going on. And let me just give you a sort of an overview before I go ahead and I read the story. 
Harvey Hernandez is a developer who's been building down here in South Florida at least since the last cycle, and he had cut a deal where he was going to have an official Airbnb condo hotel that was going to be put up in an area called the Miami World Center, which is right there in downtown Miami across from Bayside in the American Airlines Arena. So uh, lo and behold, um, there were some issues associated with that, and, and that was dealt with apparently in March, and now his former partner is suing, uh, seeking a, a receivership, according to the press report. So, so uh, Jean, let, let me go ahead and read the first couple of graphs to you. After enduring legal batters, battles over a robotic car elevator at, Brickle, at a Brickle condo and a suit filed by Airbnb, two separate cases, Miami developer Harvey Hernandez is facing another hurdle. Hernandez's co-founder minority partner NGD Home Sharing, who was fired from her position as chief marketing officer, is suing Hernandez and NGD Home Sharing. She alleges that the company is headed to insolvency and needs a court-appointed receiver. NGD is just one of the businesses Hernandez uh, uses for development work, along with New Guard Realty and New Guard Development Group. Um, John, what say you? Is this basically a disgruntled worker who's pissed off and is trying to run this guy's name through the muck, or do you think there might be something here? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's probably a little bit of everything in there, but the thing is, is that if you're if you're that developer, why would you even let it get to this point where they actually file a lawsuit? I mean, why not try to settle it before it gets out in the open like this and fair game for the media? I mean, it, it's just, and it didn't seem like it was like a huge amount of money. Uh, so why not settle this case out of court instead of generating this kind of terrible publicity? I mean, already the you know he's had already a, a slew of like negative negative stories over the years. I mean, so why add to the pile and why allow this to 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 become the kind of story that it is, full of lurid details? I mean, uh, trips to Europe and and all kinds of stuff like that. I mean, wasted money. Uh, I just, I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well, Ken, I'm, I, I want to ask you something, but before I do, a follow-up to that, let, let me just put a one, other, uh, uh, one other tidbit that comes out of the article, just for the listener's uh, benefit. It says, in January, Airbnb, you know, that's that, home, that large home-sharing company, which either is going public or has gone public. I don't even remember anymore because you keep hearing about them going public. Anyways, Airbnb sued NGD over a soured partnership on Nido-branded apartments dedicated to short-term rentals. The deal included about $10 million in investment from Airbnb. The company alleges that Hernandez inappropriately lent himself about $1.5 million from the investment. Hernandez countersued and accused Airbnb of attempting to use confidential business information. The two companies settled in March for an undisclosed sum. So, so Ken, you, you know, obviously there's a lot of stuff going on. I'm not going to ask you about that, but what I do want to ask you about is uh, you as a journalist, investigative reporter, been doing it for a number of years. Can you sort of give the listener, and our listeners all over the world, can, can you give them some perspective as to when you file a lawsuit, does everything have to be true? And more importantly, from a reporter's perspective, can you use anything that's in a lawsuit and not be uh, concerned that you're going to get sued for libel or slander or anything else? So can you just kind of give a big picture, Ken? Well, you could, as a journalist, you can, if it's in a, a, a lawsuit, if you've got a deposition or a complaint, then you can write anything you want pretty much. So that does, you know, so one does have to be careful about drawing any conclusions. I mean, this is a legal dispute. This is not a, you know, it, it, I mean, it's, it's, we've got this story from uh, Real Deal, but, um, you know, I mean, 
as a reporter, I know, like, I love these sorts of stories where you, you, you get these, <laughs> you know, because you've got carte blanche to report anything you want. I mean, within reason. I mean, obviously, any responsible journalist, you've got to call and ask for comment. But in this case, you know, if, if these allegations are being tossed around, then it's fair game. It's not, it's not, there's nothing sleazy about reporting a lawsuit of this magnitude. Um, but yeah, you've got to take things with a grain of salt because who knows? There's something, I agree with John, something's going on here. Like, why would you allow this situation to deteriorate to a point where the, the, the PR blowback is going to be, you're going to take a hit on this. So something's going on. I mean, you know, with, with loss, when, when relationships go bad, you know, there, there's a saying, I lived in Brazil for five years and I remember there was a saying, there's probably the equivalent here. Um, when two brothers speak badly of each other, they're both telling the truth. Um, so <laughs> I like that. Yeah, yeah. And, and and it's often true. However, obviously, at this point, everything has to be taken with a grain of salt. But, it, you know, it sounds like a juicy story. I mean, it sounds like a fun story to be working on. Uh, but um, uh, but who knows? There's Yeah, I mean... Somebody made some very bad decisions. Uh, nice. Uh, and yeah, I mean, somebody really screwed this up. Putting aside, you know, the potential illegalities, I mean, you know, allowing this to come out publicly was a massive blunder. Okay. And speaking of making bad decisions, Ken, I want to stick with you with story number six. This is going to come out of the Miami Herald. <laughs> Miami Herald headline. Miami attorney arrested as Coral Gables and Aventura bank robbery suspect. Yeah, you heard me correctly. Now, let me, <laughs> let, let me read you the lead. Dubbed a serial bank robber by the FBI, a Miami attorney is in federal custody after being charged with trying to rob five banks since, since September 30th before his arrest this week. Aaron Honaker, 41, successfully robbed only two of the five banks for a total of 1850 bucks, according to the criminal complaint filed Wednesday in Miami Federal Court. Coral Gables police said the detective driving in downtown Miracle Mile area of Coral Gables Tuesday evening spotted Honaker and took him into custody as he was in his way into another bank for a robbery. The complaint says Honaker arrested with a hammer and a demand note, admitted to the TV, TV bank at 255 Alhambra Circle, was the next on his robbery at Templet. So, so um, Ken, what, what, what say you, an attorney, robbing banks and doing it in his own backyard? Well, I mean, there are one or two possibilities here. Um, the guy, you know, is uh, criminally minded and successfully hid that um, uh, and was able to have a successful career up till now. Um, um, and, uh, you know, this was something that he's, you know, there are some people who, you know, turn out to be, I don't want to use the word bad exactly, but, you know, who turn out to do really, uh, who end up doing bad things. Uh, and uh, um, and you look back and you're like, yeah, this was a person who was probably, you know, like, this is just part of their character. The other possibility is, I mean, hey, like you were talking earlier, there are a lot of desperate people out there. I mean, I think, I think, you know, all I know is this short little story I saw about it, but, um, you know, you, maybe the guy was desperate. I mean, maybe it was purely just that he was, I mean, that's what it sounds like, right? I mean, like he just 
you know? I have yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything went to sh- everything went to shit. I think I'm allowed to say that. And, it all uh, yeah, it all went to shit. So so John yep. John let let, let, let I have a theory. Uh, let me let me right, let go me, ahead. Let me. I have a theory on this. <clears throat> you know, this is not the first story I've heard of an attorney doing some crazy stuff like this. Um, and you know, ironically, there's another story of an attorney who found the wallet in the court. Okay. And he took the wallet, instead of turning it in, he takes it into the bathroom, took all the cash. He was on camera. He got caught. <laughs> it says the last law firm he, he worked for, the law firm claims that two years ago he just disappeared and never they never saw him again, according to the <laughs> um, the last the last law firm. And supposedly his, his profile on the Florida Bar uh, website still has his previous yeah. law firm there, even though, according to the, that firm, he's, he hasn't been seen in two years. He never returned to work, according to according to the <laughs> to one of the one of the partners of the other law firm. I wonder if he still has his lawyer. Uh, well, I, I, usually, Florida Bar will really uh, cut you off at the knees there. Well, and the Florida Bar had the wrong information as well. Just to kind of uh, add to it. Uh, the, the Miami Herald <laughs> goes into it, and then just to add to uh, one more tidbit, um, according to the Herald article, uh, this gentleman he claimed he graduated from Duke University Law School when, in effect, he did not. He did not. <laughs> Apparently, he went to Wake Forest School of Law. Uh, both of them are located in the same state, but they're, they're a little bit different institutions. Yeah. I thought he was doing it for the thrill of it. That's what I thought. <laughs> yeah, that was another possibility. Well, I have to confess, I, I had not been able to, for some reason, the link wasn't working, so I was able to just start. I just read this full story. It sounds like, yes, he uh, uh, had some curious... Uh, 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 instances in this past that this may not be as, you know, it may not be uh, uh, as quite out of character as um, I had thought. And it does strike me that, I mean, I think people are going to start doing a lot. I mean, we're going to see people get increasingly desperate, but robbing banks, that's like, I don't know, that's probably not the first thing that a lawyer does when, you know, Probably you are you're more likely to rip off your clients if you have any, or yeah. you know, I don't know, move money around. Um, bank robbery probably is, bespeaks of a larger problem, especially now as I'm reading this story and seeing there's a history of misrepresentation and uh, other curiosities. So anyway, I don't want to, I don't want to, uh, you know, unfairly cast aspersions on this guy, but there is a curious background here that goes back for some time. Nice, nice, nice. So, guys, uh, let's go ahead and we'll take a commercial break. The other side of break, we're going to get into the prediction segment. Challenging times for real estate. Call for experts that help you to navigate the new normal in the process of buying or selling property in South Florida. At CBR Realty, we listen carefully and advise based on stats, local knowledge, and experience. For more information, call us at 305-865-5859 or visit our website, cbrrealty.com. Welcome back to the Counter Vulture Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Zaluski. This is the prediction segment of our podcast. This is where I ask all the panelists to go ahead and make a prediction about something coming down the pike. What we've seen in recent weeks is that uh, Jean has been correct on a lot of stuff. John, not so much. Me, I'm somewhere right in the middle. So um, <laughs> let's see what everybody's got to say this particular week. And but by the way, John, I think you were supposed to. Uh, uh, provide me information about everybody's prediction because as one of our email uh, uh, commenters had requested and you uh, agreed to do, 
you were going to go ahead and provide me that, and I was going to be able to put it up online. So just throwing that out there. Uh, in okay, I'm glad you. T- I appreciate you throwing me under the bus, but I will take care of that this week. <laughs> okay, all right. Just just putting it out there. So, uh, John, yeah. um, what what say you? What what do you see coming down the pike? Given the fact that you've been correcting a lot of stuff recently, but I predict John Fackler is going to do as you say. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> actually, no. My prediction is. Um, that um, I don't know if you've been following the news in Europe, but uh, they're locking it down again. Uh, Italy, Spain, and France are going on lockdowns and curfews. The COVID is spiking. And so my prediction is that we're going to see a spike in uh, European travelers and visitors this winter. Uh, They're going to want to get out of Italy and Spain and France and come to sunny Miami and uh, hang out on the beach and maybe even buy some real estate. So if I'm a real estate agent, uh, I should uh, be prepared to uh, do a little marketing to my European friends. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Um, John, what, uh, what do you predict? What say you? Okay. We talked about this a little bit earlier, but I'm going to, I'm going to expand on it. And that is the stock market situation. Okay. The okay. market was down 650 today. My prediction is that over the next seven days uh, leading up to the election, um, a third component is going to add to the problem where we're going to see stock market losses equivalent to when the pandemic first broke. I believe it was in March, April, where we had the worst stock market run. And the reason is um, not only because there's no stimulus, not only because um, the, uh, the uptick in coronavirus, but also, there was a obscure deal meant to, uh, uh, today that happened where the U.S. approved um, anti-ship missiles for Taiwan. And the Chinese are already going ballistic. We all know how the Chinese are about Taiwan. And I believe that third component where the Chinese are um, upset, going to be upsetting, going to be upset, is going to tank the market even more, very similar to what happened with the China trade deal. And those three components together are going to lead to a extended loss in the stock market over the next seven days, equivalent huh. to what happened earlier earlier in the year. Interesting. It's not working. Well, and, it, it, and just as a side note, there's there's also an issue going on right now where Turkey and Russia could be at each other's uh, throats over some territory in the Middle East. But um, oh, really? Uh, that, yeah. That that being said, uh, Ken, what what say you? Uh, give us a prediction. Well, you know, as always, I mean, I generally stick to politics. Um, I, in the past, have said that I thought um, uh, Trump was going to lose the election. Uh, and A, I'll start there. I still, th- I still think he's going to lose, but I'm less confident in that prediction. Really? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Um, I mean, even though all the polls. Even though the polls say that Biden's got it wrapped up a week before the election? The only thing is we live in this odd country where the Electoral College is determinant. And so Trump's path to the nomination is, is or I'm sorry, to, to winning is, is harder. But I guess, I'm, you know, I mean, when you see margins, which are pretty close to inside the margin of error in a number of states, I mean, you know, you people have talked about how Biden's going to, you know, it's really close in Texas. I mean, I've seen this before. I mean, yep. you know, there are a number of states where I think Biden may come close, but in the end, it's 
going to stick pretty close to script, which means it's going to come down to, because of this bizarre hybrid, in my view, terribly flawed democracy, mm-hmm. it's going to come down to a couple of states. Um, you know, I mean, there is a possibility. Yeah. I mean, maybe Biden, you know, wins by, ele- you know, if he wins by 11%, I don't think it's the the popular vote, then that's too big of a margin, even at, you know, if that, it's it's too big of a margin that um, for him to lose, I mean, you know, maybe he loses a couple of the close states, but um, obviously if, if something like that happens, um, it's going to be easy. I don't know, though. I have this feeling that it, it may be closer than uh, previously anticipated, which is a surprise to me because without taking uh, – I know you're an apolitical uh, – uh, we're an apolitical show, but to me, given the scope of the pandemic uh, and the economic problems facing the country, it's very, very hard – for me to see any president winning re-election on when you're running on that record, but it's a you know it's a strange year. Trump has a base that is committed to him, and Biden's health raises a lot of issues. And then yeah, the electoral college. I think I think uh, Biden's probably going to win, but I would not. I don't know. A month ago, I was felt more co- comfortable saying that. I think it may be closer than as expected. Interesting. Okay. Okay. So, so you you say Biden's got it, but it, but it'll be closer than a lot of people want to admit. Okay. I and think now, so. Okay. Yeah. And for for my prediction, uh, Jean, you and I are on the same page, but for different reasons. You're predicting we're going to have a lot of Europeans that might be coming to South Florida um, going forward, simply because they they're running from the COVID out there in Europe, um, and possibly looking at real estate. I'm predicting that we're going to have a lot of real uh, real estate investments uh, done by Europeans. My reason is a little bit different. Might have to do with currency. The the euro today is somewhere in the ballpark of a, a dollar nineteen to the U.S. dollar. So if you're you're a European, you bring the euro over here. Lo and behold, you try to convert it, you're going to get about uh, close to dollar nineteen. Uh, if you compare that to where we were last year, it was about a dollar eleven. About a dollar eleven. So there's been about a seven percent appreciation in value or a a decrease in value of the U.S. dollar. And and if if history is any uh, representative of what we went through the last time. The euro seems like it's running, and as we have all these problems going on in the United States, including the deficit and, and, and the uncertainty, I can see the dollar getting weaker and weaker, which may work to the advantage of the United States government and also might work for the, uh, to the advantage of the real estate uh, in South Florida. And we talked before about commercial. Um, uh, we've talked in previous podcasts about the residential side. So that might actually be a, um, you know, a, a good thing for this region in terms of trying to get out of the pandemic, assuming we're able to get a vaccine at some point and kind of put this pandemic at least, uh, you know, it, it, we're able to kind of curtail it or at least put it in a box so people can start to see a light at the end of the tunnel. So that, that would be my prediction. We're going to go ahead. We're going to take a break. And then on the other side of the break, we're going to get into the comments. Are you a primary user or real estate investor who's in the market for a discounted South Florida condo? Are you searching in the markets of Greater Downtown Miami, Miami Beach north to Sunny Isles Beach, Hollywood north to Fort Lauderdale, or anywhere else east of I-95 in the Tri-County South Florida region? If so, the buyer brokers at Condo Vultures Realty are here to assist you. Condo Vultures Realty is a licensed Florida brokerage that was established in 2006 to assist educated buyers in identifying, negotiating, and purchasing units at a discounted price. To speak with a buyer broker at Condo Vultures Realty, 
please call 305-865-5859 or visit our website, condovulturesrealty.com. Welcome back to the Condo Vultures podcast. I'm Peter Zalewski, your host. We're now going to get into the comment phase. This is where you, the listener, have an opportunity to go ahead and write in and compliment us, criticize us, ask questions, any and all of the above. So if you want to reach out to us, please send an email to inquiry at condovultures.com. That's I-N-Q-U-I-R-Y at condovultures.com. So, John Fackler, what do we got in terms of comments? Well, our first comment uh, comes from uh, the initial is O and middle name Max. So, um, Max, okay. From, from Miami. Okay. And um, the comment is, cool podcast with the Cocaine Cowboys author. Ha, ha, ha. Maybe, Peter, you can explain to our listeners about the uh, Cocaine Combat, uh, Cowboys podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, so, so what we do is on Wednesdays, we do these roundtables. On Fridays, I do a one-on-one interview with somebody. And then on Mondays, I do a condo market analysis. So two weeks ago, and it would have been podcast number 57, um, I did an um, uh, interview of a gentleman who's, a, who, who's an author. He's a, a journalist. Uh, he does a radio program for NPR. Um, you always see him or hear him on either NPR or PBS. Same as Robin Parzad. He did a book called Hotel Scarface, which is nonfiction. Had to do with this um, this place in Coconut Grove, a neighborhood of Miami, that ultimately was the go-to place for uh, legal and illegal activities going on during the 1980s, during the cocaine cowboy era. So we, we had a conversation. We talked about how much drug money has to do with the real estate market in South Florida uh, back in the 1980s and what it sort of represents today. So it was a fascinating uh, conversation. I'd encourage everybody, if you haven't heard it, to go back and look for podcast number what did i say it was it was 57 with robin farzak so great okay we've got a uh, second comment from one of our regular listeners Ilya. Ilya up in the treasure coast every week Ilya is providing some insight and we appreciate him for that. appreciate that from him so uh, yeah. what is what has Ilya got to say this week john he's got it mean, he's got i'm going to summarize it because it's uh, typically uh lengthy um his first is regarding the wholesale furniture guy, um, Mr. Suarez. He said he's fun, uh, hoping in the next lifetime I can be actually exact, exactly like him. Never stop the engine or the locomotive. The way he turned your questions about condo pricing back to you was priceless, shrewd. Is he looking to adopt any, adopt any dumb fuck adults by any chance? So maybe he could talk about that. <laughs> Yeah, so Jose Suarez has got a company called Global Inventory Liquidators. And effectively what they do is they'll go in and they'll buy out uh, the supply, the equipment, the furniture from a variety of different companies, whether it's a hotel, like the Doral, um, excuse me, like the Trump National Doral out there in uh, uh, suburbs of Miami. They recently just came in there. They bought up and or auctioned off a bunch of equipment, a bunch of furniture that the hotel was looking to get rid of for what reasons? Nobody really knows. They'll go ahead. They'll buy all the equipment out of a restaurant. They will um, uh, buy the equipment for, or in the furniture from furniture stores. So effectively, these guys are lowball buyers. They come in. They pay 5 to $0.10 cents a dollar. They then put a spread on it, and they sell it on an individual basis to, to people for 20 to $0.30 cents on a dollar. So it's a good little business to be in right now as uh, companies are trying to generate cash. So these guys will come in, they'll buy it dirt cheap, and they'll turn around after the spread and sell it dirt cheap. So that's Global Inventory Liquidators. That's Jose Suarez. And that was podcast number 60. So, John, what else does Ilya have to say? Um, he also said he's looking forward to the predictions online. So, boy, I better get, I better get in gear here. 
so so what what that is about is Ilya, who's our regular listener and a regular commenter, um, he made a suggestion that we do these predictions every week and that we ought to actually have them in the description, the brief, if you will, for each individual podcast. So John volunteered to do that a week ago. Um, I haven't received anything from John yet, therefore it's not yet up on the podcast descriptions. When John does do that, we will go ahead and add it. Until then, Ilya, I'd encourage you to keep uh, busting John's balls uh, just to make sure <laughs> that he follows through on what he said he would do. Speaking of busting balls, he gives you a little shot here, and I'm going to run this past you. Uh, <laughs> okay. He says, condos are a commodity. Single-family homes are pieces of art. <laughs> so... Yeah, uh, Ellie and I have gone back and forth, back and forth. I'm of the thought process that a condo is strictly a commodity. There's nothing special to it. The price is simply uh, affected by, by what floor it's on and what the view is. You don't actually have to see it. You just basically run the numbers. And because it's Miami and a lot of scams down here, the only reason you go to see it is to make sure that it actually exists. Versus a single-family house where they tend to be uh, uh, different, unique, and uh, have benefits uh, that maybe will uh, – Make one one house different from another house versus a condo, which is all pretty much the same thing. So, so he and I go back and forth, and we agree to disagree on that. Anything else that has got to say, John, before we shut down this podcast? That, that pretty much sums it up, Peter. All right, all right, fantastic. So, if you again, uh, the listener, if you want to go ahead and uh, make a comment to us, please send an email to inquiry at condovultures dot com. That's i n q u i r y at condovultures dot com. I want to thank Ken Silverstein, investigative reporter for north of thirty years. Ken tuned in. He was our first uh, actual roving participant, uh, journalist, to go ahead and get around with the roundtable. I want to thank Jean Bruce. John used to be a reporter for north of 25 years in Florida, and he now has his own public relations marketing firm called Bruce Communications. And finally, I want to thank John Fackler. John was a, uh, used to write about publicly traded companies and um, uh, white-collar crime in South Florida. Now he has his own consultancy as well. And I'm Peter Zalewski. Until next time, stay safe, be healthy. Ciao, ciao.